ever since human beings have gotten together around a campfire thousands and thousands of years ago, we've always caught, come back to this thing of storytelling. You know, whether that was conveying how to hunt woolly mammoths, what what things to eat, not eat. Um, there were important things to be told through these stories so we can remember them. Obviously, times have changed somewhat, but that human relationship to a story still drives us from our core. Only now, maybe we do that in, you know, 280 characters on Twitter or uh, quickly on a TikTok video or something along those lines, which is why I'm super excited to have Mike Chastain on today. We're talking about storytelling in the digital age. Uh, for those who don't know Mike, he's an award-winning trial attorney, author, entrepreneur, extreme endurance athlete, and mentor. He opened his own firm in 2007 and struggled for several years on the business side. After making the decision that he didn't want to worry about his financial future, he engaged several business mentors and read every book he could about how to improve his practice. Grew his firm to over seven figures, was able to sell it and remain in an of-counsel position, where he now helps other solo and small firm owners to turn their firms into an asset that is highly profitable. And if his story doesn't match my story that much, uh, or if you haven't got on how similar our stories are, he just wrote a book called Legalese EASE. We're here from Legalese Marketing EASE. So I'm hoping uh, we have that much more in common in a positive way. Mike, thanks for being with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to speak. Absolutely. Anything else you want to jump in on with the uh, with your bio? Or we'll get to it through more through your story. No, I think we could talk about it through my story. It, it's It's been a long journey, uh, 37 years of practicing law. Wow. Awesome, man. All right. So let me talk about our last episode, then we'll dive in so that way we don't have to cut up the story. Uh, most recently, we had Meredith Cole and Andy Herrick on. We talked about the seven steps to better systems. So if you want that really interesting, like the system to create systems, super meta conversation, uh, Meredith, Andy, and I went super deep on that in our last one. Check that out afterwards. Uh, but now we're talking storytelling. So 37 years of practicing law. Correct. So I, I uh, graduated uh, and passed the bar in 85, got sworn in, started as a public defender right away. Um, I think I did my first trial within the first two weeks of being there. Um, stayed there for about 17 years and then uh, moved from San Jose, where I, uh, where that public defender's office was, to Sacramento, worked for a, a firm for about six years um, all doing criminal defense, and then opened my own firm in 07. Um, and through you know that entire period of time, I was a trial lawyer and and did a lot of other things, but that was the my primary focus. Awesome. Yeah, I uh, started out as a prosecutor, so and then my wife was a PD. So it always seems it's interesting. You will never get better experience than those jobs at the very beginning, right? Right. Well, that was and that was the reason I went there is um, I wanted to. I wanted to be a PI lawyer uh, initially out of law school, and um, I thought that the best way to be successful at that was to have the trial experience. But once I started uh, doing criminal defense, I realized that really was my calling, so I stayed there. I love it. Well, and now my wife transitioned to PI, so uh, <laughs> it is it is what it is. All right, so as we dive into more of the storytelling in the digital age, you piqued my interest. You hit the, uh, what is it from uh, Pee Wee Herman, right? The word of the day or the sentence of the day, read every book he could about how to improve his practice. So if you've got, I know you've written a book as well, um, but what were your like, three to five top most important books that help you make that transition from struggling to successful? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I think there's a, a number of really good ones. Uh, Richest Man in Babylon 
is a, a great book about you know the importance of saving money and investing it, um, followed by uh, Profit First by Mike Michalowicz, which is what we use for our entire accounting system. Uh, that made a huge difference in the uh, uh, profitability of the firm. Um, the E-Myth, and specifically the E-Myth for lawyers, so I, I read both, both of those, um, about the importance of learning how to run a business without you actually doing all the day-to-day -day work. Um, and again, that that is critical for both profitability, but also if you ever wanted to sell your firm, it's got to work without you being there. Um, so that that was uh, a big one. Um, you know, for me, 10% Happier was a great book on meditation uh, and and the importance of, you know, taking time for yourself and, uh, you know, quieting your mind a little bit so you can be more focused. Um, yeah, I mean, I have a whole bookcase behind me of, of books that really made a big difference. But, uh, you know, I would say those were kind of the key um, books that got me going. And then, you know, I, I read a ton because as we get into the topic of storytelling, learning how to tell a story and seeing, you know, how does Stephen King tell a story? How does, um, you know, Tom Clancy tell a story uh, and making it compelling so that people want to know um, that's very important for being a, a lawyer. And well, I think in, in virtually in any business, your ability to tell a, a good story uh, is pretty critical. Totally. Yeah, I love. Uh, it's funny you mentioned the E Myth regular and lawyers. I got to tell you, I wanted to be the pie shop so much more than the law firm. I love the uh, the original one. So, yeah. Um, you mentioned Stephen King. So, have you read On Writing by Stephen King? I have not read that. Um, I, I've, you know, he puts out so many books that it's hard to keep up. I just finished Fairy Tale, um, and and I, you know, for years and years, I read. As, as much of his uh, as I could get a hold of, but I haven't read on writing. So it's, it's obviously it's autobiographical. It's him like going through his process. It's so mm -hmm. fascinating. I mean, obviously he talks about how drugged out he was for so much of his thing. Like he did not, he did not pull any punches on himself, but it's mm -hmm. so interesting to, to have him go into the mindset of how he's, you know, written so many things as I'm going through the book. I'm like, Oh yeah, he wrote Carrie and, Shawshank Redemption and this and that and Dreamcatcher and and Green Mile and right. you know it was just crazy to see how many of these things uh the dead zone I mean just a million of these books um very interesting so especially being into storytelling I would highly recommend Stephen King's on writing it gives you a good you know behind the scenes view of this yeah I'll have to I'll check that one out so when it comes to storytelling in the digital age you know where would you suggest a law firm owner start in becoming a better storyteller in, you know, modern society? Uh, well, you know, there's nothing that, that um, replaces practice. So if you want to be a better storyteller, you need to just start telling stories. Um, and, you know, from a lawyer perspective, um, I think it, it, it all starts with getting the information. So if you're going to be telling your client's story, um, whether it's to a jury or a judge or a district attorney or a you know defense counsel or whatever, you need to know the information. Um, and that means learning how to ask good questions, to, to dig down deep, find out what's really going on. You know, most people don't tell you about their struggles uh, without you pro uh, probing them um, and prodding them to give you the information. But once you have it, um, 
you know, then then it's a it's a matter of determining what is your theme, what is it that you you know, what is the message that you're trying to get across, uh, keeping it simple um, and straightforward. So you know, instead of having 15 different themes, you know, try to narrow it down to one, and then and then it's just practicing. You know, uh, I do a lot of storytelling on my bike. I I'm a avid bike rider. I've been riding bikes forever. And, you know, I practice uh, just going over the phrase, the phraseology, how do I want to express this so that it'll have the maximum impact in the shortest amount of time? You know, that's the other thing is that uh, a lot of people, you know, they drone on and they get boring. You don't ever want to be boring. So to keep it, you know, short, simple, right to the point, um, the, I think it was, you know, uh, Mark Twain, who said, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't have enough time to make this shorter, right? He wrote a letter and, and said that. And, and, and that's the key is to limit um, the number of words so that it has the biggest impact using, you know, powerful words as opposed to a lot of the weak words that we use in, in a lot of our writing. So those would be the things, that, you know, just practice it. Just get out there and just tell the story over and over until you get good at it. Yeah, the um, in terms of the shorter is better, you know, I always... I always vacillate between like Jerry Seinfeld's got the quote about like a good comedian turns a 13 word joke into seven words. And then like TikTok, you know, we're mm -hmm. as much as you want to sit here and uh, slam TikTok for all of its faults. People want the information quickly in a way that is engaging in a way that is exciting in a way that is short, um, or at least to the point, maybe short's the wrong word. So I love that you highlighted that. Um, are you talking about that mostly from a trial standpoint? From a content standpoint, does it matter what the, you know, where you're going to be delivering the story? I, I don't think it makes any difference um, whether you're on stage and presenting it or whether you're sitting in, you know, uh, in the judge's chambers trying to convince him to, to give your client a deal um, or you're talking to opposing counsel or you're in front of a jury. It's 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 still storytelling and uh, it's it's making an impact on them so that they feel what it what it is that you want them to feel so you have to start from the perspective of what do you what's the message and once you understand what the message is that you want to get across then it's a matter of just you know honing it in um to to that so it has the biggest impact um you know i, I see a lot of lawyers uh you know particular but other people you know i mean if you go to a cocktail party and you know there's a guy telling a story and you're like, yawn, I'm ready to, you know, move on. Right. Um, as opposed to the other guy who's telling maybe exactly the same story, but it's so compelling that, you know, you're hanging on every word and that's where you want to be. Uh, and that just takes practice. So is there, you know, it's interesting because we talk about this from the standpoint of like personal branding a ton, you know, some people are funny, some people aren't funny. Um, so when it comes to like that brand from a storytelling standpoint, like how do you figure out what allows you to tell an engaging story? Uh, you know, that's a great question. Um, I, I think you have to be true to yourself. So, you know, if you're funny, then, you know, comedy, um, works, but if you're not a particularly funny person, I mean, nothing lands worse than a bad joke. Right. Um, so you have to find your own style. Um, and, and again, as, as I talked about before, you know, seeing how other people do it, listening to other people tell stories, and then finding 
you know, what works for you. And, and again, it, it's about practicing, just doing it, delivering it over and over until um, you find your style. You know, uh, I mean, it took me, and I would say I'm still developing it, but, you know, 37 years of being in front of juries, being in front of judges and, and opposing counsel and, and, and even your own clients, you know, um, telling the story, why should they hire you? Why are you worth more, uh, you know, the, the fee that you're charging? That's all storytelling. It, it, it all boils down to telling a story and getting comfortable with it. Where do you see, I mean, look, we are in a results-based industry, right? Like you could be, you could do the best um, you've ever done and lose a case. You can, I don't want to say half asset because hopefully no lawyers doing that, but you could like three quarter asset and right. win. So in terms of getting the feedback to know that you told the right story, like where does that come into play from a, uh, you know, from a trial standpoint? How do you separate the result from the ability or effort or whatever you want to call it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a great question because you're right. Um, I mean, some of the best closing arguments and trials I've ever presented did not get me the results that I was hoping for. Um, and then others where, you know, you, you know, I felt like I did a good job, but I, I wouldn't put it in the top 10. And then, you know, I get an acquittal. Um, uh, you know, I think you have to look at the trends. And I think that's true with all results. Um, you got to look at, you know, over a period of time, are you getting good results? And if you're getting good results, then it means you're on the right track. It doesn't mean that there's not room for improvement. Um, and if you're not getting good results, then you need to change something. But, um, you know, it's a little bit like looking at the stock market. You look at the stock market one day and, you know, stocks are down, you know, does that mean you abandon ship? Well, probably not. You know, you look at the trends and uh, if you're doing good over an extended period of time, um, you know, then you're you're moving in the right direction. So then I, I like that from looking at the trends. So I want to I want to ask this question phrased in a very specific way. Um, so I obviously I'd like to think that any of us would become better speakers doing, you know, that many trials over that length of time. So my, my question about the how you've changed your delivery is not so much from that perspective, but from a what you've seen the changes in society over the last, you know, 37 years, how have you brought that into, you know, changing closing argument, changing how you tell a story, how you craft a message? Um, you know, PowerPoint is a big difference. When I first started practicing, there was no PowerPoint. You know, you, you showed up and you um, and you had to be convincing with the, the, the spoken word. Um, I think people now are much more um, visually oriented. Um, and so, you know, to give a to give a presentation without a PowerPoint, um, you're you know, I think you're shooting yourself in the foot um, uh, or, you know, something like PowerPoint anyway. But um, and I also think that people's attention span has shortened. And so it, it becomes even more important to be compelling. Um, and even if you're using a PowerPoint, you know, your visuals of how you present yourself, movement, vacillation of, of um, tone. Um, I mean, I'm, I've been known to scream in the courtroom. Um, I've been known to lay down on the floor and wiggle around. You know, I mean, it depends on what it calls for, but to, to be uh, dramatic and, and, you know, some might even say over the top, but, uh, you know, again, it, it depends on your personality and, and your presentation. But I think that that's the biggest change is that 
um, people have shorter attention spans and they need more visuals. And so to the extent that you can present that, and it's a whole lot easier than it was, you know, in the nineties when, I mean, you know, I remember bringing, doing trials where I brought my own projector, my own crappy laptop, my own screen, because the courtrooms didn't have that. Uh, you know, I was kind of uh, ahead of the uh, the curve a little bit. Nowadays, it's all set up. You just plug in and, you know, and the courtrooms oh, are all set hopefully. up for it. I mean, it depends. Uh, yeah, you might most of them are. Counties. Yeah, and, you know, I suppose you go to Tulare County maybe, but um, or Tuolumne County, you know, <laughs> where, you know, they're still using um, gas lights. But for the most part, you know, um, at least in California, where, you know, I've, I've done all of my practicing, they're building new courthouses and they're pretty state of the art, I'd have to say. So, um, uh, so it, it is a, a, a big difference. But the, the, the direct answer to your question is, um, I think people are more visual, expect more visual and um, have a shorter attention span. So, you know, these long three hour closing arguments, I think you're, you know, again, I, I, I try to keep my closing argument no more than 45 minutes. Um, that's, you know, and it doesn't really matter how complex the case is. If I can't simplify it in 45 minutes, then I'm, you know, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. The, uh, if you, you had, you had more time to make it shorter or, uh, whatever, whatever the quote is. Exactly. No, I and know, you I know, and that, well, I was just going to say, you know, from a trial perspective, I start, um, my trial prep with the closing argument. What is it that I want to say? And then how do I develop all the pieces that give me the ability to say it? So I, I'm working on closing argument. You know, I got a trial. I got one case that's left um, that I'm supposed to do in February. And I'm I'm already working on the closing argument. And, I and you know, because it takes that long to, to get it down. Makes total sense. Yeah, I know uh, from a war story perspective, remember a uh, one of the much more experienced prosecutors when I was there had a, a case where somebody was strangled. And so like the, the basically the defense was it was in anger, no time to think about it. And so it was like, you know, seven, eight minutes of joking. And so prosecutor takes his tie off, puts it over the banister, ties it and just like sits there in silence mm-hmm. and he sit there, you know, 30 seconds, 45 seconds a minute. He's like, all right, well, now six more minutes. The defendant sat there trying to and now they're trying to tell you, you know, didn't have the chance to. uh experience it and obviously uh that was not obviously from that but that was a guilty and i just that right. really really sits with me in terms of the uh the demonstrative of it and using time as an advantage in that moment of just you know the silence of everything very interesting so what would you say i mean obviously like we talked a lot about from the jury from the the not the jury selection from the uh in trial standpoint but from the business standpoint i mean you know you read these books had these mentors turning the business around so how did you change your storytelling from like a marketing perspective to help assist in that you know change of the firm from struggling to successful yeah i mean that's that's another great question um again i think it it is in part about the story what is the story you know, what is your unique selling proposition? What is it about me um, or my firm that somebody should consider when, you know, there's a lot of criminal defense lawyers uh, in any jurisdiction. So why should they choose one over the other? So being able to tell your own story in a compelling way that um, connects with people, I think is pretty important. Um, And as, as I, you know, have, have said many times in, in several other podcasts, you know, Developing the data 
of what is really going on. So when we talk about trends, um, we measure everything in our firm. And so I know what, you know, marketing is working, what, what message is working, um, what lead source is working, um, how our script, so everything is scripted out, how the phone's answered and all that, how that script is working, because I measure those numbers, I review those reports on a daily basis. Um, and, and I think all of that put together helped make us financially successful. And by having the financial success, we were able to, to hire, you know, great people to continue doing the work, you know, staff that really cared um, and really orchestrating the client experience. So it wasn't just, you know, what we set up on a website, but when they walked into the office, what did they see? Um, what plaques were on the wall? What, you know, what was the message that they got um, and that includes, you know, smell. We use scented candles and, and you know, some, some offices use music, um, you know, this total experience. So when they walk in the office, th that story continues on so that they, they feel like there's this congruency of, of, uh, of information. What um, I want to go deeper on what you're talking about there. So you're talking about, you know, measuring everything to know what's working. What I'm assuming we're talking KPIs and metrics. Yes. Yes. Okay. So what were um, some of the biggest ones that you were tracking to know, you know, what marketing efforts were working? So um the the so there's two there's two ends of the uh, of of this equation. One is the front of the funnel, right? You know, what's what uh how many leads are coming in and where are they coming from? Um, to to be able to to track that and to know is you know our marketing dollars being um, useful is our ROI what it should be, um, and then from there once it once it comes into the funnel the lead you know how many of those are qualified how uh, and and all that meant for us was did they have a problem uh, um, that we dealt with in a jurisdiction that we we did it in so you know if we get a family law problem in LA clearly it's not a qualified lead. Um, how many of those are setting appointments? So that's telling us is the script working? How many of those people are actually showing up? You know, because everybody kind of thinks, oh, if they set an appointment, they show up. Well, not true. Um, and then how many of those are hiring? And, and the beauty of that is, uh, as one of my mentors always said, you know, business is simply a math problem. You know, if I know what my average case value is and I know what my goal is for revenue, um, and I have those other numbers, how many qualified sets, shows, and hires, I can just do the math backwards and figure out how many leads I need. And then I know what my marketing budget needs to be. So, um, you know, and we have years and years of data, which helped me sell the firm. Um, but, you know, those are the things that are really important. And then, so that's the front end. And then the back end is, well, what, what practice areas are, are profitable? Um, you know, during COVID, we had a very robust DUI practice. During COVID, you know, the bars and the restaurants all shut down. So we shut down our DUI practice. Didn't mean there weren't DUIs out there. It just meant that it wasn't profitable for us to do it anymore. Um, and because we had the numbers, we knew. Uh, now, you know, we're, uh, we're reconsidering that because the bars and restaurants are open again. And, you know, um, it is a good cash flow uh, practice. But Again, we do it all based on our numbers, and and that's why measuring everything. You know, how many billable hours? Um, what what 
how long does it actually take to do a DUI or, a, you know, a, a assault with a deadly weapon? I mean, these are the things that we, we know. Uh, and so we can price them properly as well. And so when you say you shut down the DUI practices, does that mean like you turn down those cases or you just stop marketing for them? Or like, what was the Give me a little Both. more specificity. Okay. Both. So we, we stopped marketing. I mean, that was over half of our marketing budget because um, DUIs are expensive to market to because everybody does them. Um, we we had a lawyer. Uh, so at, at the time, we had a paralegal and a, a lawyer who that's all that they did. Um, and the lawyer decided, uh, you know, to, to leave the firm and go do PI work. Um, so we just didn't replace him and we, and, um, we let the, the paralegal go. Um, so that cut our overhead. Um, and then, you know, every once in a while we get a, a case and we just refer it out to someone we know who does a good job. Um, but because we're not marketing to them, we don't, you know, we don't get that many calls anymore. Um, but we knew, you know, we knew what our acquisition cost was. We knew what it cost to actually do, do the, um, uh, you know, do the case and it just, uh, the numbers weren't adding up. So instead we put our resources into another area, which was much more profitable and, and uh, you know, it, it made good sense for us then. Now that COVID sort of ending, I guess, um, you know, we're reconsidering it. A decision hasn't been made, but at least, you know, it, at the end of the year, we always kind of open the box up and go, well, you know, what, what, else could we do? What should we change? And and that's one of the topics that we're talking about. And so it was interesting. You you sort of answered my next, well, you answered my next question. So I'm going to change my next question. Um, you know, spoken, spoken like a true lawyer, right? And uh, <laughs> during, a, during a good cross. No. Um, so you're talking about, obviously, look, COVID, COVID happens. That's a very specific thing that causes us to have to dive into the numbers immediately. You're talking about at the end of the year, you're reassessing those numbers. So walk me through a little bit deeper on how often you're looking at the numbers or how that discussion happens about what to do with them. Okay. Yeah. So I look at the numbers every day. Um, we actually have a, 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 an employee in Mexico who his um, primary job is to crunch all of our numbers and give me a report every day. Um, so I know. Um, and then I look at the, the P and L and the bank accounts every day as well. So I know where we are at any given time. Um, and, you know, if those numbers are, uh, you know, red flagged for me, then I start to, to look at it. I don't, you know, one day or even one week does not cause a trend, but over a period of time, if I'm, if we're not going in the right direction, then, you know, we have some conversation, we might talk to a vendor about, you know, what's going on, but the end of the year in particular, you know, so we're doing that on, on a regular basis, but the end of the year, here, at least in our practice, you know, from basically this point in time through Thanksgiving, through Christmas, everything slows down. The cops go on vacation. Nobody wants to go to trial. Every Everything slows down. Um, and so this is a really good time to, you know, uh, you know, roll up our sleeves and get down to, okay, well, this is what's going on. How can we improve it? I've been meeting with all of our employees and asking them the questions, what can we do to make your job easier? Um, and, and then develop a system around that. Um, and, and as I say, I think the end of the year is just a perfect time to do that. So when we hit 2023, you know, we're off and running. Um, and we don't have to be messing around with that. 
And I love that question. What can I do to make your job easier? I think it's so funny. You know, like we, um, we just bought new printers at the office for, uh, and my staff was like, you know, the other ones were fine. And we're like, no, no, no. It's a $300 printer for you to have the last one jammed and have issues finding toner and all that. Like, please, in the future, like, just let us know that right. something's causing you any heartache, you know, for a couple hundred bucks, it's worth it for you guys to appreciate it. So I love the way you phrased that question. What can I do to make your job easier? Um, spoken like a good boss. Yeah. Well, you know, it, 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 one of the most expensive things that happens, especially in a small firm is turnover. And if you can avoid, and we didn't lose any employees this year, which is great, saves us a ton of money. Um, uh, anything that you can do to keep a good employee, um, you know, and, and as you probably know, you know, pay matters, you got to pay fairly, but there's so many other things that are going on. They have to like the environment. They have to like working for you. They have to like their job and they have to feel like they're being heard. And I, I think that question in particular, what can I do to make your job easier means that they're being heard. Well, and it's, like, look, during the Great Resignation, we had that we had that moment in time where employees had way more power than they've ever had before, mm-hmm. um, or even I've seen it, you know, petering off already. There was, barring the fact that you gave every one of your employees a 30, 40, 50% raise, there was always more money on the table for them somewhere else. And so it's a credit to, you know, every business owner who maintained any amount of staff uh, because they had op- they had more options than they've ever had before yeah. in that uh, in that window of time. You know, and I, I have to say, I have to give credit to. So, you know, I sold the firm um, to a very experienced lawyer that I handpicked, and he agreed to 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 take over. I stayed on a, of counsel more in a business um, situation, but the credit goes to Martin for keeping, you know, everybody. I mean, they liked him. They did. We had zero turnover from the time that we sold to now. So that's been uh, almost a full year. Uh, and it's really credit to him to, you know, that he's done the things that, that he needed to do to keep, um, the good folks that we had. Awesome. All right. So I want to change gears a little bit before that, anything else you want to make sure we cover or talk about when it comes to that storytelling in the digital age? Um, you know, you know, my recommendation for new lawyers. So the, the bar exam just, you know, results just came out. Uh, so there's a bunch of new, um, lawyers, at least in California. Um, you know, my recommendation to them is that they should be reading every single day, reading something, because again, you, you learn how other people tell stories and you start to expand your, your wealth of knowledge. Um, that's got nothing to do with the law. You can read anything you want, as long as you're reading something, um, you know, that's the big thing. And then practicing, you know, whether you're practicing in front of a mirror or like I do on a bicycle, wherever, just practice learning the phraseology so that it becomes smooth, you know, have a vocabulary that's interesting. I love it. All right. So now I want to talk about the book. So you've been practicing for 37 years. You've got the firm since 2007. You sell it, you're up counsel. This book, the book comes out. So walk me through that process. You know, why, why write a book? How'd you find the time for it? What's in it? Who's it for? Sure. So um, I, I need to go back a little bit. When I was a public defender, um, I mean, I, you know, the, the ink was still wet on my bar card. I got the great opportunity to spend time with senior lawyers and listen to their war stories. I mean, we literally would go to a bar called the San Jose Cafe 
and, you know, have drinks. And I would listen to them tell their stories. Um, and that was a great learning experience for the courtroom. But what I also saw was the toll that the stress was taken on everybody. And a lot of really fine, dedicated, good lawyers um, kind of fell apart. I watched it and it was sad to see. Um, and so I knew that I did not want that to happen to me. So over the years, I be, you know, uh, I just um, would learn techniques about how to to manage myself, manage the stress, deal with these things. Um, and that's really what the book's about. So one of the big topics that I, I talk about, I, I think there's three separate parts in the book about it, about sleep, getting enough sleep. You know, it, it's the secret weapon to peak performance. Without um, good sleep, peak performance does not exist. So um, and the, the funniest thing for me on that one is, we have so little science about like what, why we actually need sleep, but mm -hmm. a ton of science that talks about the negative implications of not getting it. And so it's like this interesting, I don't want to say it's a dichotomy, but like, it's always interesting to be like, look, we don't know exactly what sleep does for your body, but if you don't get it, you just completely fall apart. So. Right. And there are some really good books. I mean, uh, uh, Huffington, um, wrote a book, uh, uh, on sleep and and it, it's really really powerful um, but there's a lot of good studies and you're right I mean what we do know is that if you don't get a sufficient sleep you know your your performance really takes a dive so um what I did is I I, I wrote the book in a way that it was really simple to read it um it has a, a huge bibliography in the back of all the the sources or many many of the sources but what I talk about is is just do this. So like there's a chapter on making your bed. Now you can read all the foundational stuff about why it's important to make your bed. But, um, you know, if you just make your bed, you have that one victory first thing in the morning. Um, it's a great way to start. Um, I talk a lot about, you know, controlling your cell phone and controlling your email. You know, too many people that I know let email on their cell phone control them. And, and uh, I'm a big fan of, you know, put that thing, it's a tool, you know, you don't bring out your hammer for everything. Why are you carrying your cell phone around 24 seven? So it's, it's, you know, it's ideas for people to consider, um, to, to be happier, um, and perform better and, and do a better job. And a lot of that includes the courage to say no to say no to clients that you don't want, say no to work that you don't want to do, say no to working, you know, 18 hours a day. I mean, none of that's good for law. So that's what the book's about. I love it. So geared for law firm owners, geared for lawyers, geared for... Um, I wrote it specifically for lawyers because, you know, obviously that's my background. Um, but frankly, it would work in any industry or for anybody. I, everything that's in there could be translated. I don't care if you're a plumber, you know, washing dishes, digging ditches, all of those things um, translate. Now, maybe not every single one. You know, if you're a ditch digger, you maybe don't have the time block, but, um, you know, any professional for sure. And uh, uh, but I, I, you know, I specifically uh, geared it to lawyering because you know, obviously that was my background. Makes total sense. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to totally cheat on my next question. I know you've been on a bunch of podcasts. I know you referenced it and I've, I've listened to some of them. What's the best question that someone's asked you that I didn't ask, or what's the best answer you've been able to give 
on all those podcasts that we can have here just to uh, just to give the listeners something more? Well, that, that's an interesting question. I, I think, you know, I don't know if it was a specific question, but, you know, the message that I always want to get out to people is, um, and especially lawyers, is that you actually matter. Um, how you feel, how you take care of yourself matters. You're not just a cog in the machine. Um, and especially the small, I think a lot of small uh, and solo owners, they don't, they, they intuitively know that they don't want to be a cog in some big law machine. That's why they went out on their own, but then they don't give themselves the respect. So uh, let me give you an example. I, I'm working with a client right now and his big challenge is taking time to actually work on his business. Now, if he makes an appointment with you, he shows up 100% of the time, but then he makes an appointment with himself and he blows it off. And I'm like, well, why are you less important than that other person? You gotta, you gotta prioritize yourself as, um, because as being important enough to keep your obligation. So I recommend, um, and, and I have said this before, you know, my hack is I do, I plan my week out in advance, but I do it on Friday, the Friday before. And I do it for two reasons. One, when I look at the Friday, it gives me an assessment. How did I do this week? And if I miss something, I have time to actually fix it, right? As, as opposed to if you wait till Monday morning or Sunday night, you don't have time to fix it. And two, I make obligations to myself. I time block, you know, I am going to do this. I set my workouts. You know, these are the workouts I'm going to do ne uh, next week. And I can tell you, you know, probably eight out of nine times, uh, 10 times I show up and I go, I don't really want to do that workout, but I've already made an obligation. I'm going to do it, you know, and I muscle through it. Um, but that's true with working on your business or taking care of your family or your spiritual life or whatever else is important to you make, you know, set that side of time, set that time aside and make it a priority, make yourself a priority. So super selfish question, but I, I have this question. A lot of our listeners do too. Look at you book this, your team booked this, somebody booked this weeks ago, if not months ago. So when mm -hmm. you're sitting there to plan out like the Friday for the next week, but you've got all these things booked out already in advance on so many things like how do you balance those? You know, do you limit yourself to a certain number of podcasts every week? Do you do you limit yourself to that on certain days? Like what's the intersection between all the things you can control and all the stuff you're externally required to do? Or Yeah, well, so thank you for that assumption that I have a million podcasts to do a week. But, um, you know, my... The beauty of of being kind of semi-retired the way I am, um, my schedule is not super busy. But when it was, you know, the 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 probably the better analogy would be, you know, when I was doing um, trial work, I had to be in court, right? You know, uh, Monday morning and Monday afternoon and Tuesday morning, Tuesday. and so how do you fit everything in between that? Um, and you know, uh, that's where time blocking becomes really important. Um, you, 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 you need to, to have a pretty good estimate of how long is this going to take? And then I always tell people estimate 50% more. So if you think something's going to take an hour, give yourself an hour and a half, because it probably will take that. Um, worst case scenario is it takes an hour and you got a half hour to, to play with. Um, uh, you know, so I, it, it, it's, you know, there's the old story of if, um, you know, if you had a glass and you had rocks 
and pebbles and sand and water, what's the order you put them in, right? And the you can get them all in if you put the big rocks in and then the pebbles and then the sand and then the water. But if you put the water in first and then the sand and then the pebbles, the big rocks don't fit. So you got to prioritize what's important. What are the big rocks? Those go in first. Get those on your calendar. Um, for me, exercising, especially when I was, you know, actively racing, that was a priority for me. So I had to block that off and say, okay, this is the workout that I'm going to do. And this is how much time it's going to take, including, you know, load my bike on the car and traveling to wherever, block that off, be realistic about it, and then guard it. And the same thing with vacations, right? I, I would book my vacations months in advance, and I'd let everybody on the planet know, Mike's not going to be around, you know, because he's gone. And I never had to miss a vacation because I let everybody know. Yeah. And I will say, um, I love what you talked about with the, with the 50%. One thing that I've been doing that's been super helpful when it is possible, it's not always possible, is I'll take that. All right. It's going to take me an hour and block an hour and a half, but I'll block an hour on one day and the half an hour on a different day. Because then it's like you come to it with, you know, fresh eyes and you're like, oh, I can't, I wrote that, that makes sentence makes no sense. Or, you know, I've been mulling on it in my head, uh, not consciously. I've got a new idea or a track I want to take with it. And sometimes I think we rush through these things. Whereas even if you block the hour in half and half, you'd have a little bit more, I don't know, brain power on it, maybe. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've written an email, did not send it let it sit there, went back to it and went, oh my God, I'm glad I didn't send that because it doesn't say what I wanted it to say. You know, I was caught up in the, mo the moment or the emotion or whatever. Um, I think that that's absolutely brilliant. You know, it, given your, if you block your time off properly, you're not rushing. You're not doing things on the day that the deadline, you give yourself the time to, re to review, which is absolutely critical. And the other thing that you need to build into it is time to just think. You know, we're all about doing, but what are we being paid for as lawyers? We're being paid to think, come up with, with strategies um, that aren't always super apparent. And, you know, I, I, I've used the moniker or the, the tagline, you know, creative solutions for difficult problems. Um, and that's all about just thinking it through and running, you know, playing the chess game all the way to the end and going, oh, that's not going to work. You know, it all sounds great but that's not going to work. Let's, let's do this move and at least give ourselves a better a chance of winning. Well, and I think any, any of the research on that or any of the experts on that, I think are going to go back to exactly, you know, the, what you talked about bike riding or taking the walk through nature, or, you know, some sort of physical activity to give yourself that uh physically focused, mentally wandering uh, yeah. Point, so, well, and, and, the, and then you just go through the flow. I mean, while I'm riding my bike, you know, down the road, I could be, you know, ch ch chatting away. Nobody cares. Um, and, and it just, it just, it's free form and stuff comes up, stuff will come to me that I'm like, I would have never thought of that sitting at my desk, you know, and now, now I just need to remember it, you know, <laughs> and, and get it written down and then start to, you know, build off of it. But yeah, that's been my, um, been my practice. I, I I never do a closing argument. I've at least ridden ridden the bike on it once. I love that. All right. So uh, I want to talk about our next episode, and then we'll come back for uh, takeaway and best point of contact. So what are we at? We are twelve. So twelve one next Thursday. So not Monday, but Thursday. 
um, at 5.45 Eastern time. So going a little bit later, we've got David Nagel on. David is a mindset coach who's going to talk to us about Shocker, the three mindset shifts to double your revenue. So that'll be next Thursday, 12-1, 5.45 Eastern time. So especially for all you West Coast people, this is the episode that we have positioned for you. We probably should have done that for Mike because uh, I guess you're only two hours behind now, but we're uh, we're working with it. So if anybody's been listening for the last 50 something minutes and they remember nothing you said except what you have here, what would be your biggest piece of advice, your most important takeaway to help more lawyers be the exhibit A of a successful attorney such as yourself? So I'll come back to what I said before about sleep. Um, prioritize your sleep. Um, you know, I've always felt that it was better to be well rested than uh, necessarily, you know, prepared um, because I can think on my feet. And, you know, if you've been preparing over a period of time, cramming the last minute is to me, to my way of thinking, pointless. So prioritizing your sleep um, on a consistent basis. That doesn't mean that, you know, you, you might not, you know, work late one night because there's something that has to be done. And I've, I certainly have done that many, many times. But on a consistent basis, getting, you know, that that seven, eight, nine hours sleep, whatever it is that your body requires, um, is probably the single most important thing you can do for um, peak performance. I love it. Yeah. And there's a uh, I. I don't know if the show's on Netflix or my wife just watches it on Netflix which is called Awake where they have people stay up for 24 hours and then they make them do like menial tasks, you know, threading a needle or balancing or whatever. And it is amazing to me like how quickly you are a, you know, the 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 0.30 equivalent uh, blood alcohol content on somebody just from not sleeping. So I love your well, idea. And I, and, and Jordan, I'll just tell you, you know, I was um, for, you know, for over a decade at Expedition Length Adventure Racer, I do races that would be 10 days long where you're only sleeping a couple hours a day. Uh, a day and I know about sleep deprivation. I mean, I'm, I've fallen asleep riding my bike. I've fallen asleep hiking. Um, I've been lost because I couldn't read the map, all because of sleep deprivation. So um, it, it's, it's real near and dear to my heart uh, about how important it is to get good sleep on a consistent basis. I love that. All right. So for everybody listening and watching, we hope to see you back on a 12-1 for David Nagel's episode. But having listened to Mike here and whether you've read the book or you want to read the book, what's the best way for people to stay in touch with you, Mike? Uh, so you can go to my website, which is mikechastain.com. Uh, it's C-H-A-S-T-A-I-N-E, because most Chastains don't have the E at the end, uh, dot com. Um, you know, I post on a regular basic basis information regular basis information on my YouTube channel um, on a segment I call 20 minutes with Mike. And, and that's at, you know, on YouTube, Mike Chastain. Um, or you can just email me directly, Mike at Mike, michaelchastain.com. And I'd be happy to set up a time. And uh, like I say, I'm working with solo and small law firm owners to make them more productive, um, give them the opportunity to turn their firm into an asset um, and if nothing else, just have them perform better. Um, and so I'm working on a one-on-one -on -one basis with folks like uh, to do that. And again, you can reach me through any of those forums. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you to everybody who has watched or listened to this. Uh, we hope you got a lot of it. I know I did. I've got a whole page of notes, which is always a good sign that uh, it was a wonderful episode.
Um, with that, we'll see you all back on Thursday the 1st at 545 for our episode with David Nagel on the mindset shifts to double your revenue. Until then, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, if you get no other gratitude, I'm thankful for you being here with us and taking some time to watch the show. All right.